Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen most of you. Janie and I uh, and the family took about a 10-day vacation. This is something that we've never done before. We spent some time in Washington, D.C., and then went up and visited my sister in Philadelphia for a few days and rounded the whole thing off with a few days in the Shenandoah Forest, which was glorious. So we're uh, thankful for everyone here that served in our absence, especially Deacon Kevin, uh, who is not here. We pray for him. He is on a mission trip to Honduras. So I'm especially thankful for him and uh, filling in for me uh, while we were gone. Um, well, it's not only your generosity that enabled our trip, but it's the kindness of other strangers, strangers who are friends or either friends or friends of friends. And I'd like to tell you about one of the houses that we stayed at on our trip. We affectionately called it the mansion, because that's exactly what it was. The mansion was set in a sort of a wealthy neighborhood in Philadelphia, just sort of outside. And sort of after parking in the round driveway in the front, we crossed this enormous threshold into this house. What, it must have been like a 7,500 square foot, yeah, 7,500 square foot house about, I think, of living space. So there was sort of artwork on the walls everywhere that we turned. And the living room area was, was rounded with, with bookshelves with all kinds of books on it. And over here to the right, there was a, a living room with a pool table. And over here was this grand staircase that went upstairs. And upstairs were all of these like mansions, this maze of bedrooms and offices and many closets and passageways and staircases. And the attic space all the way up on the third floor, if you don't count the basement, was turned converted into a basketball court. It was amazing. <laughs> so this was a fantastic, wonderful place. The family wasn't there while we were there, and they generously let us stay there. And of course, the grounds all around were well kept. We watched deer leap through the backyard and lounged in covered porches as the rain fell around us. And so I had to confess to Janie that I was coveting a little bit while we were there. All of us, I think, were. Well, have you ever been in a place like that? A place that is so grand and so luxurious. And you look around and you think, how can anyone afford to live in a place like this? And then the wheels sort of start turning in your head. And you think, how could I afford to live in a place like this? Maybe the next career move that I make, maybe, maybe then I'll be able to afford something like this. But I don't think a career alone enables this kind of lifestyle. That's when it hit me. Some people inherit a lot, don't they? Some people inherit fortunes and riches some folks live extravagant lives because others have the resources to share it with them, to hand it down. 
And this is what we call an inheritance. That's the subject of our Romans passage this evening. So according to St. Paul, we were once utterly impoverished, but now have been adopted into God's family. But instead of inheriting brick and mortar, we inherit all that Christ has inherited. Psalm 110 begins, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. This messianic psalm introduces the idea that Christ, once his work on the cross is finished, he sits down at God's right hand, and that the time between then and his return will be a time of subjecting all powers and authorities to his rule. This in itself, I think, would be terrible news for us because as St. Paul has made clear earlier in Romans, we are God's enemies destined to be his footstool. However, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, indeed, throughout this entire series, the faith by which we have been justified and through baptism, we have been cleansed of our sins. In fact, we've been baptized into Christ, which means our body of sin, as Paul puts it, is dead. In baptism, we have also been raised with Christ, which means we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Now, although, as last week's reading indicated, we continue to struggle with sin throughout our life, we can be confident that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 7 through 17, today's reading, reiterates this good news by telling us that we have been adopted into God's family and have become fellow heirs with Christ. No longer are we under threat of being Christ's footstool. Instead, we are elevated to share in the inheritance, his inheritance of all things. So we're going to walk through our Romans passage if you want to uh, follow along in your bulletin. We begin with verse 7 that says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know from a couple of weeks ago that there's a great tension that between our flesh, which has been crucified with Christ, and the Holy Spirit, by whom we participate in the resurrection of Christ. And here St. Paul reminds us that those who are in the flesh, that is, those who have not died to sin, are unable to please God. Why is that? It's because God is mean or he's a tyrant? No. It's because they do not belong to God. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I'm reaching an age where a lot of my peers and friends are beginning to send their children off to college. I haven't gotten there yet, thank the Lord. And some of them are even marrying their daughters off. 
Mark and Becky, you just did this. And I was thinking about them as I was writing this because it's heartbreaking. I can't imagine giving Olive away at her wedding. I can't imagine the heartbreak that that's got to feel because your kids, your children, they belong to you in a sense. When they move out or they get married, they no longer belong to you in the same way. So everyone in that situation has to learn a new way to relate to each other, don't they? And this is the kind of change Paul is talking about. Once we are baptized into Christ, we no longer belong to our flesh. We no longer belong to Adam's family. But through our baptism and by faith, we have been united to a new family. We belong to him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't fall back into our old ways. We may still struggle, but something is different about us. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. We have the Holy Spirit who animates us with righteousness. We may want to go back home and live our old life with our old family. We may forget that we have died to sin, but something is fundamentally changed within us. We are no longer alone, but Christ dwells in us. But how is this possible? We'll look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christ now dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And this is a new thing completely. The old thing was to feed our flesh, to live by it, to sort of pamper it and indulge it. We had no reason not to do that. And this brought nothing but death, Paul says. But the new thing brings life because the spirit of life now lives in us. That is why he says in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what does he mean by being debtors to the flesh? Well, we owe nothing to the flesh. You owe nothing to the flesh. It would be like trying to pay an old bill for an account that you had closed years ago. It's just as ridiculous to continue to feed and indulge the flesh when the flesh has no claim on you any longer. This is why St. Paul reiterates that we must put to death the deeds of the body. Of course, this is much easier said than done. So how are we to understand this? Well, the deeds of the body, of course, are sin. And Paul has already told us In chapter 6, that the wages of sin is death. That's what death pays. But since the free gift of grace is eternal life, we no longer have that death looming over us anymore. 
Remember what we've been saying, what Christ accomplished on the cross is a done deal. It has already happened. It is finished, he said. So now we go about the task of putting to death the deeds of the flesh, those remaining temptations and habits that draw us away from the Father. And how do we do this? Well, I hate to tell you this, but the answer is to suffer with Christ. That is, to deny ourselves, right? To deny our flesh, to do whatever it takes to mortify the flesh. Not because our salvation somehow depends on it. Not because God's love somehow depends on it. But because we owe nothing to the flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are contrary to the spirit who dwells in us. So we cannot continue to live in sin. In a sense, it's contrary to our nature. That is, the new creation begun in us when we were raised to new life with Christ. And this has changed everything, including the family in which we belong. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We are now sons and daughters living in a house we did not work for, playing in gardens we did not plant and swimming in pools that we did not fill, and we're eating at tables that we did not set. There was a day when we were slaves to sin and to our own passions. But we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and as daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, we know this to be the case. Every Sunday and every day in between we pray, Our Father who art in heaven. We cannot say that if we belong to the flesh, We cannot say that if we belong to the flesh, if we belong, we cannot say that, sorry, we cannot say this, our Father, if we belong to the flesh or if we belong to the world. Because Christ has accomplished our salvation on the cross and because he now sits at the right hand of the Father, we can call his Father ours as well. And this is only possible because God's spirit dwells in us. For as Paul says in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So we are fellow heirs with Christ. Now, I don't know the family who owned the mansion my family stayed at on vacation. They must be lovely folks to let a family of seven strangers just live in their house. There's a big part of me that would love to inherit all that they have. A big part of me. But when I read this verse, and this is no offense to our hosts, But I'd rather be a fellow heir with Christ, for his is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty 
Friends, no matter how much I may struggle with sin in this life, no matter how irksome the same old temptations become, no matter how troubled I may be in the, throughout the night, and however much I may covet or lust or hate or disobey or steal or lie, I know that I have the victory over all of it, not because I just really try hard not to sin, but because I have been promised to inherit the victory For I am fellow heirs of the victor. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Provided I suffer with him in order that I may also be glorified with him. Brothers and sisters, we began this series in order to know what we mean when we talk about the gospel. My hope is that by delving into St. Paul's letter to the Romans, we would, dimi- we would diminish in our own eyes and that Christ would increase. That by seeing him high and lifted up, our own countenance might be lifted as well. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh that is suffering with him in our own self-denial and bearing the reproach of a hostile world is no easy call but it is our call to discipleship. Now, I could preach for another 20 minutes or so on clever tricks and hacks to overcome sin in 10 easy steps, but that would be a waste of all of our time. The church has given us the means of self-denial, and we must set out on a long obedience in the same direction. First, we must add fasting back into our life with Christ. If we cannot skip a meal or two once or twice a week, how can we expect to deny our flesh when sin crouches at our doors? Next, we must pray. And there are a million ways to pray, but start by praying morning prayer a few times a week and increase it until it becomes a daily habit. And then start adding evening prayer. Or practice Lectio Divina, that divine reading. Read a passage even from your bulletin a few times a week very slowly and meditate on it for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And finally, I suggest finding a spiritual director, someone you trust to whom you can confess your sins and someone who, whose direction you can receive. Confide in them your fasting practices and your prayer life. And here it is. Ask for help. One of our values here at Mission St. James is communal discipleship. Because we all need help following Jesus. But, but, but remember, it is only by the Spirit that we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. So remember, you are not alone, but God's spirit dwells in you. Remember, it's a done deal. There's no rush to put all deeds of the flesh to death at once. In prayer, ask the Lord to reveal one or two trouble areas to you and ask him by his spirit to put them to death. Also remember that you have been grafted in to a cosmic reality. As sure as Christ is seated on his throne and as sure as he has begun a good work in each of us, he will perfect it 
until he comes. And as he does, your life story will be one of repentance. That is, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And as you allow God's spirit to do his work in you, you will be planting gardens in your wake. You will be setting tables and desolate places. And you will be providing cold water for the thirsty to drink. And you have it all to give because those who are in Christ are fellow heirs with the one who has been given all things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that we would no longer live according to the flesh, but even today that you would call us out, continue to call us out to put to death the deeds of the body. Because that is not what you have saved us for. How can we continue to live in sin when we've been rescued and delivered from it? And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pour down upon us, that we would be refreshed with the desire to follow you, to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses, to see you high and lifted up and to trust that your work is accomplished, even though we are watching you day by day, put your enemies under your feet and use us, Lord, to share this good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.